0: Welcome, Phoenix fans, to another episode of the Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leinert. I will not be doing the color commentary for the Philadelphia Phoenix on AUDL.TV because the season will not be starting. However, the podcast turns on. I am joined by my regular partner in crime and everyone's favorite Phoenix personality, Alexander Shaggy Shragus. Shag, thank you for joining us again.
1: Yeah, of course. Always happy to join.
0: Now, Sega, I came upon a revelation tonight, and we're going to have to address this in a future Burning Bird, but apparently I I found out this evening that I'm part of a – I'm in a mockumentary about Spirit of the Game and Ultimate.
1: Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to give you as much here as you might want. I mean, I did not see you in it. I watched the whole thing. I was like, Steve, you're not on Lady Godiva. Uh, one no. of the all-time great ultimate teams. I, so I wasn't I, – and then you explained that you were in maybe a two-second clip in the beginning of a bunch of Philly people getting into a fight. Does That's me. That right? That's yeah, me. Okay.
0: I'm, I'm the Philly guy that gets into the fight. Yes, yes, absolutely. Right. But it's, but it's completely taken out of context, Shag. It's completely taken out of context. Okay? There was no context. <laughs> there, was, there was no context. There was no context at all. All right, uh, so – and uh, we are joined in this episode by a, a, a very special guest, uh, Dallas Roughnecks player Dave Hernandez is joining us. And, Dave, I'm going to tell this story in my defense about this mockumentary, and then you can chime in and let, and let me know what you think, okay? But So, so we're at Nationals in 1996 in Dallas. Okay, Dallas, Texas. The show, the, the 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 big show in Big D, it was called. And we're playing the San Diego Not So Nice Guys, and that was their name, the San Diego Not So Nice Guys. Okay, and if we beat them, we go to straight semis. We're at, it's straight semis, no quarters, no pre-quarters. This games were to seventeen. This this was a prehistoric ultimate to you, Gabe. I'm sure. Okay, and to you too, Shag, I'm sure. Okay, but San Diego thought they scored up wind in this very windy game. There was no way you were going to score up wind. It was 60-mile-an-hour winds in Plano that weekend. It was terrible. Okay, San Diego thought they scored up wind. They spiked the disc. They weren't in. Our captain argued with their captain that they weren't in. It went to the Observer. The Observer ruled they weren't in. We went downwind, and we took half 9-8. Now, the Philadelphia Rage needed to beat the San Diego Knights guys uh, by five goals in order to reach the semis, and it wasn't happening on this windy day. It just was not happening, okay? But we scored that goal, and one of my good friends, he didn't spike the disc. He did uh, spin it down in a a way to say it, okay? And the San Diego guys picked up that disc, and they spiked it on the leg of my then-roommate, and best friend on the team, Hardy Kennedy, okay? And I picked up that disc and rifled it at the San Diego team, and then it became this big fight, okay? And the San Diego guys came rushing over, and this is when the clip starts, mind you, okay? And the uh, San Diego guys are rushing me, and my teammates are pulling me away as I'm talking smack, telling me, San Diego guys, how wrong they were to do what they did, okay? And it just looks really bad in the mockumentary. And it was the first time I saw, it, and I'm a little fired up about it, fellas. What do you no, think? I couldn't was,
2: tell.
0: Was, was I wrong? Was I out of Was I out of line for sticking up for my teammates in that instance? i do not to go <laughs> I granted it was a long time ago, but. I feel justified in my actions, and I, I feel it was taken out of context just for the purpose of serving the narrative, and I don't think that that was fair. I mean, hey, I might be one
1: of maybe 11 people that have watched this video. I think the rest of the people who watch this are on Lady Godiva or Philly Peppers or you. So, you know, I I don't think anyone sees that it's like, oh, that's Steve Liner getting into a fight. Your back's turned. And uh, it's a video about the spirit of the game from 2001. I don't know. It it doesn't seem very important. (laughs) Sorry.
0: (laughs) It's important to me, Shag. My legacy is at stake. And this is what people are going to think. I don't know. I don't know. Speaking of legacies, Gabe, thank you for joining us here on the Burning Bird.
2: Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, So, so Gabe, one of the – Big things I want to get into very early into this was your AUDL inclusion initiative uh, fundraiser where you raised over seventy thousand dollars. Is that right?
2: Yeah, it was like six, it was like sixty eight and some change, close to seventy
0: thousand. Close to seventy thousand. How did all that come about, and how did you get involved in it?
2: Yeah, um, so the uh, AUDL inclusion initiative reached out asking if I want to be part of the committee like probably like a year ago. Um, and I was like, yeah, it sounds like something that I'm interested in something that I care about. Um, and so since the season was being like postponed this year, um, and then, you know, with the pandemic, um, hitting at like the whole world. And then, um, with like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, a lot of those, you know, videos and and, like narratives started to come up and get national attention. I was like, Hey, like, you know, Avidia has a platform. We have players in our community that you know identify as the people that are being targeted um, by police and are disproportionately being you know killed and arrested by police. Um, let's let's hear what they have to say about. It. Let's hear players from our community and let's hear their take and what you know how they how they respond to it, how they react to it, um, and what we can do as a community to help support and uplift those voices. Um, so I reached out to the. ADL and said, like, hey, like, what, what do you guys think? And they're like, yeah, it sounds great. Like, let, let's put it together. So we ended up doing, like, a, an Instagram live on a, a Monday night where I just hopped on the of Instagram for about an hour and just, like, answered questions that, um, on the live chat and just kind of did, did some, like, quick thoughts and points that I had noticed in my time, like, teaching and being, uh, you know, at Stanford and back in Dallas. Um, and then later that, later that week on Thursday we, we put together a panel of uh, six people, six players in the ADL and outside the ADL to kind of just talk about recent events and how it, how it's being interpreted by different members of our community um, and then after that we like challenged the community and be like hey the ADL and a bunch of other anonymous donors are agreeing to match up to a certain amount and um, so let's, let's let's see what we can do and then we reached our like initial goal in like less than 12 hours, uh, and then after that, we just it just kept going up and it got up to 75,000. So it was, it was really it all happened really fast. It was like within the span of a week it started and it ended. But um, so I'm really glad with how the community pulled together and support.
0: Did, did you expect that to uh, goals to be met uh, uh, relatively so quickly, or uh, what what was your thought going in?
2: Um, so we had had some conversations about, like, oh, like, what's a good goal to have? And I was like, you know, I, I feel like if, if we match, like, we can get $10,000 to be matched and the community can raise 10000 that's, like, 20000 to go towards um, an organization that, like, directly deals with, like, police brutality and, like, And you know, but, yeah, like, I, that. that's where my mind was kind of with, with that and, like.
0: And other people I talked to was like, yeah, like,
2: it's not good. And then the, the reason it went up was just, like, we got a lot of people that were, like, willing to match and be like, oh, yeah, I'll throw in 5,000, I'll throw in 3,000, I'll throw in this much. So we ended up getting a lot more people to to be able to be willing to match. Um, and then, yeah, and so then from there, it just kind of took off. And I I, I, didn't, I didn't really expect it to get hit that early. I, I wasn't um, – I thought we were going to hit it. I didn't know how long it was going to take. So, it was crazy how it ha- happened so fast
0: and it was just like shot It keep going upward so how how good does that make you feel um if it, 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 it made me feel grateful
2: uh, that like people in you know in, in, in Ultimate frisbee like you know they they can they can hear the stories and they understand how it affects certain people in our community and certain people in the country so it made me grateful to be part of a community that's like so willing to listen and willing to pitch in in, in in any way that they can that's, like, you know, pre- presented. Um, and, yeah, I guess it was, it was a feeling of gratefulness um, to be a part of a community that that is able to do that.
0: Where, where did that money go, and, 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 and who did it benefit?
2: Yeah, so we ended up uh, coming up with two options on the, on the donation page. We said, you know, put your – however much you want to donate, and then – Choose if you want to go to the Know Your Rights camp, which is uh, started by Colin Kaepernick, or the uh, Act Blue charities, which is a basically it takes a donation and it splits it among like 60 plus uh, like bail funds across the country. And so the idea was like, oh, do we want to give the money to a large, you know, a large national organization or split it up between local um, organizations that would pro- like use it in a different way? Uh, so I ended up getting the Know Your Rights camp got the most votes. Uh, So we donate all of it to that that organization. Um, And their, their, you know, their biggest, their big mission statement is to basically educate uh, entire communities because with their, educate them with their rights and their, yeah, with their rights when they deal with, like, law enforcement. Um, Because, you know, once, that's, like, the beginning of, like, the process. Like, if you know your rights when you're dealing with police, like, that can save, you know, a lot of, a lot of trouble down the line if you know what you're allowed to do, what your right is. Um so they they're dedicated to like education and empowerment uh through community. Um so that's where the money went to, to them and so to, to their mission.
0: Um being a uh, former Stanford bloodthirsty player and a, a Callahan Award winner at that, um congratulations on, on that award. That's something you'll take with you forever. That's that's amazing. Um uh what uh it still seems like you've experienced some aspects of racism in the ultimate community. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I think um, a lot of it is, I I wouldn't classify as like direct explicit racism from uh, like people in the community. Um, I'd say most of it is just like a reminder that like it's not really the sport and the community isn't really accessible um, to someone that, like, grew up in the way that I did. So I think me me going to Stanford and playing on Bloodthirsty, um, Stanford has a lot of money, and they have a lot of money in their club sports program. So they our Frisbee team had a lot of support from club sports financially. And so that that enabled me to be able to play college Frisbee and learn how to play and train and stuff like that without having to pay a whole lot of money because um, if I did, like, I wouldn't have been able to, like, travel and compete and learn, and I would have been like, I can't do this, like, it's excessive. Um, So I think that, you know, that was a huge stepping stone for me to be able to, de- like, dedicate a-, a lot of time um, to the sport. Um, and then once, you know, once I got to a-, a place where with the Callahan and with, like, playing on, like, a on Double Wide and the Roughnecks, like, you get to a point where you realize, like, oh, like, most people here aren't really, like, you know, they're not like they're not like me. Like they're not low-income Hispanic. Like there's like a couple, like a handful. Um, but uh, for the most part, there's definitely a, a white majority. Um, so again, none of these people like overtly or directly say like racist or and in, like insensitive comments or anything. But more or less, it's just like existing and like observing certain things um, that make me reflect and be like, yeah, like I'm I'm like a uh, anomaly. Like my my story too ultimate is like. Uh, not common, and it's not, like, someone from my community, like, from the very same church community that I grew up in, it's not realistic for them to expect to be able to, like, get to a, like, elite club team um, just because, like, from a resource and access standpoint. So I guess to summarize, um, yeah, no, nothing, I haven't experienced anything explicit um, from anyone, but it's just, like, a a systemic thing that I uh, notice and observe and kind of, like, reflect on. Uh, from time to time. Uh,
1: what's something that the ultimate community can do to, I guess, open up access to people who may have grown up like you did and, and didn't have the, the the ability to join, you know, a YCC team or go to a, a clinic.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest like barrier is. There, there's not a whole lot of, like, return on investment for Ultimate Frisbee outside of, like, just general, like, competition and, like, and like fun and, like, competitiveness and, like, people, you know, like, with, like, clubs, like, you just pay, like, $3,000 to, like and, – and even if you're on an elite, I mean, like, an elite team, like, you'll pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go play and maybe, like, win something for the team. But, like, like the culmination of all this hard work just culminates in, like, more spending. So, like, it's not exactly conducive to uh, – and it wasn't until I started playing, like, club for the first time where I was like, wow, this is, like, a lot of money. Um, so <laughs> I think first, uh, like, leveraging some of the professional leads, like the ABL and the PUL, um, is, is really help, helpful. And I think the bigger platforms that those respective, like, organizations reach will start to, like, peak interest and be like, hey, you can get good enough to where you will then be able to pe- get, like, paid and get money and get certain benefits for reaching a certain level. And then I think using that lens, it's like, oh, it, it becomes a lot more attractive. Um, and then you can, like, really focus on, like, youth development and the youth scene um, and introducing it in places that, like, you know, people aren't used to, like, playing. Like, that, like the park by my church where a lot of Hispanic and Black population, like, it's not common to see Ultimate Frisbee played there. Um, so I'd say, like, A, you need something that, like, is has tangible benefits and tangible returns. And, like, hey, if you... Dedicate time to this. This is where you could end up, um, and then be like going into, you know, maybe like partnering with like YMCA's or Boys and Girls Clubs and like helping run clinics in that are that are more that are closer to the places where you know those populations uh, tend to live, as opposed to like the,
0: the the parks in the suburbs or something. Well, I I, I personally grew up in inner city Philadelphia, right? And uh, I had to – I I went to Central High School in Philadelphia, which is one of the more prestigious high schools in the uh, city, but it's a public high school, right? And um, they – I I ran – I happened to run into a group of of people that played Ultimate, and they sucked me in. And uh, that's how I got my start. And if I didn't have those people um, show me – ultimate and have me enjoy it so much there was no way for me to be involved this many years later we're talking about 32 years after the fact that I'm somewhat still involved in the sport and I, 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 I just applaud your initiative and uh, trying to get the sport to people that might not necessarily be introduced to it because it, it, it can be life-changing if it and I, I, I think you feel that way. Is that the case?
2: Yeah, I've, I've definitely been, gained a lot from being a part of the ultimate community, like this whole panel thing. Like, you know, I, I would have never imagined that, like, joining a sport and community my freshman year would culminate in something like like $70,000 for social justice cause. So I think that, that's, 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 is, that's incredible,
0: by the way. That's, that yeah. is yeah. incredible.
2: And that's just like one. That's just like one aspect, right? There's a lot of relationships and, and and people that I've been able to meet and get to know, and just like networking with different people in different fields. Like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people in, in the community that are that do a lot of good. Um, so I, I I think yeah, I, I've definitely appreciated being a part of the community. So I want to help share that.
0: Well, uh, how how did you get started in Ultimate, Gabe? If you don't mind me asking.
2: Yeah, um so my senior year of high school, um one of my friends from high school was like, Hey, we're gonna go play some ultimate in the park and I was like, What is that? And he's like, Did you just come out? And I'm like, All right, sure. So I went and that was my first uh time kind of just seeing like That's oh, how they that's crazy. how they get
0: you. They they just tell you, come <laughs> on out. They don't tell you what it is, they just tell you to come out. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and so like for me it was like, Oh, like yeah, I'll say for fun, like you know, and then
2: I I didn't really think much of it. And then when I got to college, um, my freshman roommate who is uh also from uh Pittsburgh, um he uh he 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 mentioned the trials and was like, Hey, like there's this like ultimate frisbee trials and I was like, Wait what? I think I like heard about that and won a couple of times in high school. He's like, Yeah, yeah. It's like a big college sport and they play at like national tournaments and like for championships and stuff and I was like, Oh like so it's, like, intense. It's, like, yeah, yeah, come on. So I ended up going to the trial and that's when I, like, first saw, like, how, like, you know, like, athletic and explosive and, like, fun to watch it could be because some of the, like, older guys on the team at the time, um, there was one guy specifically that was, that he was, he was on the, like, Stanford-Decathlon team his freshman year, but he ended up, like, quitting because, I don't know why he quit, but he quit and joined the Frisbee team. So there's this guy that's, like, you know, NCAA like athlete, decathlete. Um, and he's just like running and jumping and out, out running, out jumping, everyone just like doing all this crazy stuff. And I was like, wow, like this is, this looks fun. So then I tried it out and ended up sticking with it. Um, and then there's a couple of like personal things my freshman year that happened in like my family and stuff that being able to have a place to practice consistently and just like forget about something and just exert a lot of physical energy um, was really like helpful for me. Um, so that helped me also have an avenue to just, like, release a lot of stress from being, you know, being in college and also being, like, first generation in college. A lot of that, a lot of stress that comes with that. Um, so it became, like, a place for me to just exist and and run around and and, and have some friends in the community to to support. So it kind of happened, you know, happenstance, just, like, happened to join, and then it just kind of solidified over time, and I stuck with it for four years in college.
0: Um what could you tell us about the bloodthirsty Stanford program that people might not know? Do, do they indoctrinate their freshmen onto the team or do you have nicknames you give people or anything like that? Yeah. So
2: we have, um we have like a, so Stanford, a Stanford business tradition called roll- rollouts, outs. Roll, like, uh, and, and like a lot of, Uh, different student organizations do it like you'll audition for like a a group or you'll try out for something or you'll like apply for something and so like then that group there's a certain day where they just roll you out so they'll just show up at like you know four four five six in the morning and they'll just like bang on your door make a lot of noise wake up everyone in the hallway and everyone's like turns out to go like what is going on like they're just like celebrating and like welcome to our club let's go we're gonna go do this we're gonna go do that um, so for us, we, we had our, our version of rollouts, um, and we would go and just, like, drop, like run around campus, um, and, and it culminated at, like, a campfire where we, like, shared, uh, like, stories and, and gave each person nicknames um, based on, like, their trials and, like, relationships that we had built with them so far. Um, so we definitely had nicknames, and there was, like, a rollout process that we did.
0: Um, that was always really fun every year. Hey, what's, what's the coolest part about going to Stanford? As an East Coast guy, I have very little information about what it's like to go to Stanford. I know Tiger Woods went there. How how awesome is it out there? Like, can you? Can you? It sounds like paradise the way they make it sound.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I can de- I definitely enjoyed my time to the fullest extent. Uh, I think my favorite part about it is that like there's this really cool balance between like just like California like it's always, like, sunny and, like, everyone's kind of laid back and, like, let's go to the beach. Like, there's that aspect of, like, being on campus with, like, the palm trees and the nice weather and, like – and then there's also the aspect of, like, everyone there is, like, doing all this incredible, like, research and work and, like, internships and, like – so it's a combination of, like, being really – like, really, you know, really, like, I guess competitive. It's also not really, like, competitive, though. Like, I would say – it's a combination of just being, like, kind of relaxed and laid back and down to earth and, like, people just doing this, like, incredible work uh, in their field. So it's, like, you you, you talk to someone and it's, like, a friendly conversation. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, like, you know, just, like, a like conversation that you just have with someone laid back, how you, you know, whatever.
0: And then later on
2: you find out that they, like, like you know, they're, like, a lead researcher on some crazy project that's, like, a freshman. They're like, they're taking this, like, crazy class or they did some, like there's so many people that I met that I was like, wow, like you're, you're, you're crazy. You're incredible. Um, so I think the combination of having like really impressive people, but having them also be down to earth and like really friendly and not really cutthroat in any way was my favorite part of it. All right. You
0: you played three years in the AUDL, uh, one with San Jose and two with Dallas. Uh, can you talk about your first tryout for the spiders and what made you go out to them?
2: Yeah, so my first year was I so I played uh, with the so it, it went roughnecks and then spiders and then roughnecks. So I played the spiders Oh, I'm, I'm
0: sorry, I, I had it back. I'm, I had it mixed up. I apologize.
2: Yeah no, it's all good. Um, my first child was, was was crazy because it was like my first time playing with it was my junior.
0: Yeah, so like you were you years. were in Cal- you were in California and you went to try out for the Dallas Roughnecks? Yeah, so I so I since I grew up in Dallas, uh,
2: I was back for Christmas break and their tryout was during our break. So I was like, Yeah Oh I'm wow go back that's back awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so that's um, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um and, and it was good. Like I was the first time for me seeing a lot of players that I'd never heard of or seen before. Um and it was really fun to watch and like have people to like that were that were really like a lot better than me and being like, wow, like this guy's really good. I, I wanna I wanna get him, I wanna get a block on him, I wanna, you know, do something. So it was definitely a, a cool experience to get to go from like being you know, like a consistent player on a on a college team to then being like trying to earn your stripes again um on like a pro team. So it, it was a really cool experience. Um and then yeah, but I played like maybe like four games with Dallas my first year because our Stanford doesn't end until, uh, like, June, which is, like, kind of close to the end of the season or, like, second half of the season, at least. So then when I actually moved back to Dallas, it was like, oh, we have, like, you know, not a whole lot of games left, so they kind of stuck me in. Um, So I played, like, four games with them. The following year I was with uh, San Jose, and I played, like, two games before I tore my ACL. Um, and then finally, my third year was the first year that I got to play a, a, a decent, you know, length of a season, which was this past year, not um, 2019. So I, I, I haven't had a full year in the ABD <laughs> yet. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> hopeful that's, that's coming soon.
0: Well, still, you've had some impressive stats: uh, 120 points played, 95% completion percentage. I mean that's uh, pretty strong even though you didn't uh, have a lot of time in the ADL. I don't actually know that. So I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, were you rostered for any of the championship teams for Dallas?
2: Yeah, last year I, I I was on the playoff roster. Um so I got to play in championship weekend and the championship game against New York last year. and,
0: and what what is it like to play in championship weekend? Like, how, how, how much is it ratcheted up, the intensity, and, uh, like, uh, uh, how much fun is it exactly for a player?
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, a lo- uh, it's definitely a lot of fun, um, a lot of pressure, too, because, like, it's just like, the whole season is culminating in, like, one or two games, right? And, like, you have the, the team you've been around, you've played with the whole season and, like, all the hard work and all the conversations about, like, finally winning a championship because that's... We haven't won one since that, like, super team. So, a lot of guys on the team are like, really, like, we, we got to get one. Like, we we don't need the super team to win, right? Like, um, so I think it's it's definitely a lot. It's a lot of fun to compete with with a lot of your your close friends. There's um, a lot of pressure to be like, yeah, this, this is it. We gotta we gotta play our best, or, or or you know, give it a shot next year. So, it's definitely really cool. Um, and also I, I think like when you're there, like, the stadium's like pretty full. Um. But it, it it like it doesn't it doesn't feel like any it doesn't feel a whole lot different than like a, like a normal season game as far as like audience goes. Um, it isn't until like after the fact, at least for me, it wasn't until after the fact when I was seeing like commentary and people watching and commenting and I was like, wow, like a lot of people were actually watching this. Um, because when you're there, it's just like, oh, you're at a high school football stadium. Like there's like there's bleachers, there's people in the bleachers. Um. And you know the context of the game, but there's not like a huge like oh my god like there's fifty thousand people watching right now. It doesn't feel that way. So it definitely um, is fun. There's there's like pressure and like to perform and like pressure to perform. Um, but there's also aspects of it that feel like pretty familiar.
0: So the uh, Philadelphia Phoenix bringing it back to our little neck of the woods here. Um, we played New York pretty tough in 2019. Um, at least in the second half of the season. So we have an idea of what it's like to play against the Ben Yacht and the uh, Babbitts of the world and and, yeah. and all those. And uh, what what is it like to go against that team, a super team like you were just talking about, uh, where you're the underdog in the championship game?
2: Um, I think it's – I I love being the underdog because it's just, like, it gives you, like, a chip on your shoulder to, like, prove things. Um as far as like super teams go, like I, I feel like so all the people you just mentioned, um, I I played at some point before. I don't know. Like, I I didn't. I personally didn't feel like super like intimidated. I guess. Cause good. Good I, for I, you. I, yeah. So I, I feel like you know, and even, even like rewatching the game, like you just like oh, like they're they're frisbee players. They they play. They're good, but they make mistakes, and they, we're just on a field with some other players, you know. And they have a lot more experience. A lot of them than, like, I do, for example, but at the end of the day, you're, you're just playing, you're just playing, you are just playing you can playing some crazy with some other people, so I, that's how I, I, I'm sure that maybe there are other people on the team or people watching that are like, wow, this is, like, kind of intimidating to play against these names, but uh, also having, like, relationships with some of them, like, through other avenues, um, definitely helps because you kind of see they're, like, they're, they're more humanized as opposed to, like, legend, legend canonized, I guess, um. So I personally didn't feel like intimidated but I can see how that could uh maybe be intricated.
0: Oh no, we we figured out that the uh New York Empire put their shorts on one leg at a time just like the Phoenix yep. does. And <laughs> uh, and uh we we gave them a game and uh there's part of this podcast that will fight on this hill that we will die on this hill that We technically defeated the New York Empire in 2019 uh, due to to multiple lightning uh, 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 outbreaks during a game, and the uh, game was allowed to continue by the rest when it should have been shut down and called a Phoenix victory. But we won't go there now. We won't go there. That's that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. So what is it like playing for the Dallas Roughnecks?
2: Um, it, I I enjoyed it a lot. It's definitely different than what I was used to in, um, in college. I think my team, I think at Stanford, by the time I was a senior, like, the majority of our team was uh, something other than white, um, so I think that's something that I kind of got used to. I didn't realize that I was used to until I kind of moved back to Dallas. Um, I'm not saying it's, like, a bad thing. It's just, like, for me, it was, like, oh, there's, like, less people on the team that kind of, like relate to or identify with like like being an immigrant for example or like being a a person of color so it was that transition that i had to kind of get used to um most of the guys on the team are you know went to like you know university of texas texas a&m texas tech oklahoma Oklahoma state arkansas like kind of south college central guys um so yeah i mean it, it was just different um but then once I kind of transitioned and got to build relationships with them as well, like, I got a lot closer to them and I feel a lot more, um, I guess, like part of a team. Um, my first, like, year or two was, it was a bit of a struggle because I wasn't ready for the change. I was used to just, like, talking about, you know, oh, like, yeah, well, your, your parents came from here, mine came from here. Like, let's, what was that like? Or having friends that were very similar and not, like, similar, but just had uh, more understanding of, like, being, like, a person of color in America or, like, It's also people that I went to college with, so I think by default I also had a close relationship with them. Um, So there's that aspect too. But um, once I was able to transition, I, you know, build relationships and and I I support them and I know they support me just the same. One of the things that I found particularly scary
1: about the uh, Dallas team this year was that in the past the strong Dallas teams were filled with a lot of inputs in terms of, like, maybe – Ultimate talent that was taken from across the country, and this was the first time I think I got to see like a really a group of Texas players who had set down roots in the area that that went to play on the team. Which is frightening for me because it means like that team's probably not going where anywhere. I don't know if you feel the same way, but
2: yeah, I would say so. We got we got a strong strong local local base now. we just like gritty Texas boys. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I I would agree with that.
0: <laughs> what was the expectations for the Roughnecks going into twenty twenty if the season were to be played? Were you did you have championship aspirations or what was the realistic goals that the Roughnecks had set for themselves going into twenty twenty prior to the shutdown?
2: Yeah, uh easy, hundred percent championship. Um I think the the super team, the Dallas Roughnecks of whatever year that was, with like Jimmy and Bo and Dylan and All those guys, they won pretty, like, they weren't defeated, I think. Um, And since then, like, they kind of left and went off to do their own things, and now we had a more local-based team that has been to, like, the championship weekend uh, multiple times and just hasn't been able to, like, pull out the championship. So, and since most of our players, and since, you know, we have that kind of homegrown vibe now, um, it's definitely, like, in in our preseason or, I guess, early season conversation, yeah, preseason conversations, um but it's definitely like yeah we 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 we're going to win it this year. we have to win it like we're gonna, that, that's our expectation is to win the championship. You know, last year we we lost to New York in the final the year before we lost in the semi like that was our expectation going into the year or our goal our, our goal at least. Do you, uh
0: do you even give the Phoenix a modicum of thought? I mean, do you ever <laughs> do you ever like think of the uh Philadelphia Phoenix as an up and coming team or or watch their results or anything like that? Um, I don't think I've ever played them. Um, No, no, no. I'm sure you haven't. I'm sure you haven't. But uh, I mean, like, just as as an AUDL fan, do you look at some of the Phoenix uh, results and say, "Hey, that's surprising," or that lifts an eyebrow, or anything of that nature?
2: Um, not really. I
0: I think I also like. That's fair. That's completely fair.
2: Yeah, but I, I guess I also like identify as like an ultimate player that doesn't that hasn't historically followed that much ultimate. Um, I know at my time in Stanford, we would play teams that, you know, I talked to like our coaches like, oh yeah, like this team has like this person and this person and they've been good for this long. And I'm, like, but I'm like, oh, like you you could you could have told me that before after the game and I wouldn't have like known the difference. Um, so I don't really follow frisbee that like, I guess I haven't traditionally. Now that I'm like more in it, I've, I've started to follow more things, but. Yeah, the quick a little side. <laughs>
0: um, and uh, just to cover all our bases, you're a teacher as your profession. Is that right? And what do you teach?
2: Yeah, I teach uh, sixth grade math in uh and Dallas ISD.
0: How how tough was this year on you? <laughs> My word. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. It it hit, it
2: hit us quick, you know, like. We, we, I saw, you know, you see what's happening in other countries and, like, we, I was getting ready to start my, um, like, full year. Like, we had, we had already taught everything that we were going to do that year and I was just ready to hit the, like, the review stage of the school year um, for, like, the state test. And then, like, the Thursday before spring break, they, like, called an emergency staff meeting and they were like, hey, um, we are going to send every kid home with a laptop tomorrow in case we don't come back to school after spring break. A lot of teachers were like, like that's crazy. Like, what? Like, we're just gonna lose a bunch of laptops, and then, and then, lo and behold, like halfway through spring break, it's like, yeah, we we are not going back for the near future. Um, yeah, and we've been virtual ever since. So, it, it was definitely a huge transition. I think I had an easier time uh, just being like younger and more technologically um, familiar with like Google Google Classroom and Google Slides and stuff like that. Um, Help was helpful. I know I had there were some older teachers in my school that had trouble um, transitioning to fully virtual. But I think it helped that they like canceled all the state tests for the last school year, um, and they like did a lot of adjustments that you know would have been really hard to navigate if if it was all virtual. But it's definitely, I mean, I'm sure as as it is for a lot of people, it's been quite the unexpected uh, year. But uh, been virtual, and then I did a summer fellowship that I'm wrapping up right now on like uh, education policy. So it's been a it's been a different year for sure.
0: As a, as a teacher, okay, and I'm a I'm a parent. I I have a son and a daughter, 11 and uh, 8. Um, should I be sending my kids to school this fall? Um, as a teacher, should you be teaching? Should we be in the classroom or should we be? R- r- doing this virtually still because like right now that it seems to be the pandemic seems to be surging still. Yeah, um, I think that
2: like there there's obviously I, I think it depends on your on your school district. I think there are some districts that are maybe smaller or, or have more like reasonable options to like either be in person and like be able to socially distance everyone, for example. Um, or be able to provide everyone with, like, the virtual accessibility to, like, Wi-Fi and computers. And, like, but there are some districts, like, Dallas, that are just, like, super big. Uh, that's, like, how do you expect people to, you know, have – I mean, I'm used to having, like, 30 kids in a class, like, and every class has that many kids. So, like, how how are we going to socially distance all of that? Like, um, you know, so I, I think it's – you know, I, I think if, if parents I, – I, I mean, you know, I'm not um, – it comes down to everyone's personal preference. I think that some parents really value aspect of school that allows them to go to work during the day, especially with younger kids. Um, and I know that some parents are really concerned for, like, the health of their, you know, grand, their, their own parents that live with them, like grandparents and other, you know, immunocompromised people. So I think that, like, schools are like a breeding ground for – like a, a, an infectious disease like this. Like if one kid shows up and like it has the potential to really, really spread, um, so that's which, which is what I'm most worried about. Cause I live with my grandma right now. Um, but at the same time, like there, there's a lot of kids that wouldn't be able to do any sort of school work if we stayed at home. So I think that at least from a school district standpoint, I think a, a school district should strive to provide both options for people. Um, to accommodate everyone. And then as like a parent perspective, I think it just comes down to like what you feel most comfortable with. Um, if you, if you live with someone that's immunocompromised and it's like, yeah, you probably would opt for like a more virtual, uh, setting because you don't want to risk that person passing away. I have, you know, a lot of people in my church community have unfortunately passed away or their grandparents or grandparents have gotten really sick. Um, so I've kind of seen firsthand the effects that it has on, especially a minority population. Um, so I tend, and since the, you know, the kids that I teach are my pr- predominantly low-income uh, Black and Hispanic children, like I tend to be like, we need to not spread the spread the virus, you know. I, I remember the Secretary of Education early last week said like, oh, only like 0.0 something percent of kids are gonna like are gonna die. The majority are gonna stay alive. I'm like, okay, that's literally like thousands and thousands of children that you're okay with, like, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah Beth, away, Beth, like, DeVos, drink. I saw that. That, yeah. was, uh, that was egregious. I, mean, I, I get that. And, and, and that's you. among a lot of things that are really bad right now. I mean, yeah. that's, 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 that's that's terrible. Yeah,
2: and I also think, like, we kind of, like, shot our own selves in the foot. Like, I think, there's, you know, there's, there's countries right now that have been able to, like, basically resume life because they were able to either shut down or effectively, like, test and trace where the virus was. Um, and they just, like, cold-stop, they're like, all right, this is a problem, boom, we're going to address it right now. We're done addressing it, now we can kind of exist in society. Whereas in this country, we kind of, like, you know, we kind of, like, did it not, like, some states did it, some states didn't. Some people are like, it's not a big deal. Some people are like, well, like people still going to, like, beaches. I'm like,
0: well, well now, Well, Gabe, Gabe, you know, Gabe, I'm going to get a yeah, little political it. here, and it's very rare on the Bernie birds that I get political, and Shaggy will back me up on this. But if it. there was a mandate from the top, that and, and it wasn't left up to the governors of every state, perhaps things would be a little bit better off now. And there was no mandate from the top, and that is really disturbing and indicting. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I think people also hear that narrative and be like, oh, it's obviously not a big deal. Like, we can do whatever, like, we can still go and do whatever. And then that keeps on spreading the virus. So I think if we would have, you know, taken it more seriously way back in like April. We could have been in a better position at this point, but we're kind of reaping the our our own actions and consequences. Um, and now it's like, well, we can't shut down again. It's like, yeah, well, we didn't even like do it right. Like we didn't even try to do it correctly the first time. So, at least in Texas, I know it's different in other states, but I know Texas is kind of frustrated with how we've we handled the the uh, pandemic. So,
0: well, I think it's frustrating across the board, and uh, yeah, and it's just. Uh it's unfortunate we got here and, and uh Dr. Fauci came out today saying that uh we'll probably never uh get rid of the coronavirus at this juncture and uh that that means this might be our new normal which i'm 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 not, I'm not sure i'm okay with frankly yeah um so uh i'm going to i'm going to ask you one last question and um, I'm going to turn it over to Shag, because I'm sure Shag has a million questions for you, especially some off-the-wall ones that are just excellent. Um, but g- give me one of your favorite memories of playing on Double Wide. Double Wide.
2: Mm, favorite memories?
0: I would say Double
2: Wide. Let me think Double Wide. Yeah,
0: what What comes to your mind when you played for Double Wide? Uh, what's your What's your Favorite
2: highlight. I think for me was my first year on double wide was the year that we made the finals of the championship series, um, and that was my first. So the first thing that came to mind was getting like my first layout D at like at nationals um, at like a like a you know a club, a club tournament, and so that's the first thing that came to mind. Also, we had a um, just a lot of like really solid games. Um, that we that we ended up winning and, like, played really well just down the stretch. Like, uh, we weren't really, like, highly ranked, I don't think, that year. But, so, like, we just showed up and played really well um, and made it to the championship. So I think that, that whole kind of, like, bracket series, kind of going through the bracket, beating, um, I think, like, Truck Stop and Florida United or something. Yeah, Florida United, then Truck Stop. Um, that was, like, a really cool first time to be at Nationals, you know? First time going to Nationals, you get an experience to go – and playing the championship game against Revolver, which we didn't do, do too well in. Um, but I think the first thing that comes to mind was like my first, you know, layout me in a in a nationals game, and then just being a part of the team that I had like that just clicked at the right time. Was the first
0: two things that came to mind. All right, that's awesome. Um, all right, I lied. I have one last question. How did the double wide <laughs> team name come up? That come, come into play like. I have no idea. I had to ask. I had to ask. All yeah. right, Chag, uh, what do you got, my friend? I always thought it was
1: that everything's bigger in Texas. They, they're double. No,
0: double it's wide. totally a double wide trailer. <laughs> it's a double wide. It's a redneck reference. That. And I'm not. Am I I'm not allowed to say that? Is redneck okay to say? I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, it's definitely a uh, that kind of reference, in my opinion. From the north.
2: Yeah, I have to I have to figure that out. I have to figure that out myself so I have an answer for <laughs> I
0: don't, people. I, I don't know.
1: Hey, so, Dave, it's funny that you said that, you know, you're a person who, like, doesn't really follow a lot of of uh, Ultimate outside of specifically what you're playing. Because I'm the opposite. I, I love following Ultimate. I got way too into it. and. Um, this is a big deal for me, this interview, because you're one of the first people that I remember looking at and being like, wow, that guy's amazing. And then being like, oh man, you're younger than me. Like that hurt, uh, to figure, to find out. Cause you do could like, explain it away. Like they're older than me. I'll get there someday, but you are not. Uh, and so I watched those Stanford teams, Cause I was like, this, this team's sweet. And you said that like, you guys weren't cutthroat with each other, which is pretty cool. But you came out off as cutthroat on the field. Cause you always had more paint on. When did you start putting more paint
2: on for games? <laughs> Yeah, I think um, so. Uh, so I, there's like a couple of, uh, answers to this. Uh, the war like there was a like a mentality when we were at at Stanford because like most people that played at Stanford like there's a, there's a couple people that play that played in high school and played at YCC. Like there's maybe like two or three. And honestly, like my senior year, there was like one one guy like, that comes to mind that played in before college. Everyone else was just like they did something else. They joined. They like tried out for the team. You know, just kind of ragtag, like, oh yeah, like let's play, let's play frisbee. Um So when we play some of these bigger teams, like our coaches were like, oh, they have like this guy that's played like YCC and won this championship with U24 and U20 this, and and we're like, okay, cool, like we we have no idea who we are talking about, but we kind of like like to refer to ourselves as like a faceless army of like, oh, like we don't have the experience, we don't know much about. Like we started playing in college, we don't know the a lot of the things that some of these other like national teams do. But we're just here to like we're just here to like you know we're we're just here to get in people's way. So um, the war paint was kind of inspired by it. like oh yeah like this is just like like no one really knows who we are like like they know the school but like there's no really players that stand out for the most part. um That's kind of like the mentality. And even when we would play like um, one of my favorite memories was my senior year we played Carlton um in at National in pool play and it was just like they were like all all season long they were like oh like this is like the number 1 and number 2 team um and uh we like came out and like i remember one of my best friends alan was just like yeah like who who is it wait who are we playing next and they're like oh i don't know Carlton um and and we just came out, and I, this, I, I didn't actually get to play this game because I was because uh, of my ACL. But we we came out, and that was like the most fun game that I watched Stanford play because like we didn't we had we had like a sophomore that had just started playing like handling on our O line, and we had like all these just like ragtag pieces. Um, but we, we were just so like energized and playing like we got we got really in their heads. Um, and I remember just like seeing so many really cool plays from like a lot of my friends that I'd never played. I'm like trying to. Keeping go, going to for tour with like a with like a powerhouse. Um, so that's kind of I guess a long way to say that you know most of the players on our team were never super experienced. They played a lot before college, and that was kind of our approach. Was like the space of army, like war paint, like you know, our kind of no name uh, underdog mentality kind of vibe.
1: Nice. I, I mean, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <And> so.
2: <Yeah. laughs> So I uh, –
1: if if I'm wrong about this, correct me, but you – did you tear your ACL in the game to go to Nationals, like going out of bounds to catch the pole? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't need to judge it up. And then you, you played the rest of the game, right? You finished the game? Yeah. So something that I was always curious about is uh, would you now, because, you, you know, you're a teacher and you work with kids, would you put yourself back back in the game
2: um, post-injury? Um, so I, I think there's a, something that a lot of people that ask me about it um, don't, like, I guess think about or realize is that when it happened, like, th- there was no way for me to know that I had torn my ACL during the game. Sure. So whenever, I, whenever it happened, like, the, the trainer came over and he did, like, his test, it's like whatever the test is called, and, you're like, and he's like, oh, it, f- it, feels like, it feels strong. It feels stable. It doesn't feel out of place, so it's just going to be like a pain management thing. Like, That's know, a terrible broken. trainer.
0: That was a terrible oh, trainer. Oh, I've had the ACL test, and <laughs> you can tell right away when that ACL is torn. And let me tell you something. That trainer grabbed your ankle and grabbed above your knee and did a little wiggle and said, you're good, bad trainer, bad, bad trainer. Well, no. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: No, even even uh, even after the fact when I was like with the like the Stanford medical staff, like they did the same test and they're, they're like it, it doesn't feel like it's torn, but when you look at the scan, like it's definitely like not there. Like your is not there, but when they did the test, like they would do it multiple times because they were like confused. They were like, it doesn't feel like this is is is, is,
0: is torn. Like it doesn't feel like mine, anything. Wrong. Mine um, mine was instantly diagnosed. It was like they just <laughs> the doctor did a little wiggle and was like, Yep, you're torn he didn't need any imagery. He didn't need any anything. <laughs> anything MRI. Nothing. I mean, that was just confirmation. Just saying.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's part of it. Like, I, I didn't know that it was torn. They told me like, as, as long as you can manage the pain, like, you're good. So I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's let's play.
0: You're um, you're a warrior. Yeah. You're a warrior. <laughs> <laughs> My word. You're Carson yeah. Wentz. You're Carson Wentz.
2: Yeah, but once I once after the fact, once I knew that it was torn, then it was like a whole different ballgame. Like it's just a whole different mental side of things. Like I I, like did a lot of like PT and training and be like, well, I played on it and I was fine, so like maybe I could play at nationals. But just knowing that it's torn, like it just gives you like a whole different level of like edge of uneasiness that can sometimes be more like dangerous. So. I tried to play a couple games and then I was like, "No,
0: nah, I, like, I can't." <laughs> hey, uh, did you have a quick question? Cadaver, cadaver tendon, or your own patellar tendon? What, what did you have as your new ACL? Cadaver. I don't uh,
2: know. Right. I took, I took
0: my, I took my own patellar tendon and put it where the ACL was. Yeah, that's what yeah. I, I did. The same thing with mine. I had yeah. one third of my patellar tendon t- taken off and put in there. Because according to a doctor now, Gabe. That's what they do for athletes, just <laughs> quoting the doctor, just <laughs> quoting the doctor here. Go ahead. Yeah,
2: so, I mean, I would say if you know your ACLs, term, then definitely don't try to do anything on it. Yeah, right? No
0: unless,
2: unless, like, you're about to play on, like, some, like, last career-defining, like, national plan, and then maybe, like – but even then, it's like, you know, don't risk the long-term uh, drawbacks of, like, potentially just, like, messing up your knee for good. Um so I would I wouldn't suggest people to try to do that if they know it's not Yeah. it's funny, I
1: had um I don't know if you know who Carrie Strug is, but she uh in the nineteen ninety six Olympics she in the ninety six Olympics she tears her Achilles on a bolt and then she somehow does another vault, scores a perfect 10, but she can't land on the foot she tore her Achilles on, so she lands she lands the vault. She's, like, 12 feet in the air. She lands it on one leg and sticks it. She gets the perfect pen. It's, like, an all-time great moment in USA Gymnastics. Wow.
0: And, and
1: like, we revere and honor her. And then also now there's a whole 30 for 30 about the Carolis, and, like, they shouldn't have made her done it. The U.S. had already clinched gold. Like, there was no reason for her to do it. It's one of the all-time great moments <laughs> in Olympic history, and, like, it probably should not have happened. And I'm glad that now I can just feel, like, amazed by you. do uh, I need to be like, eh, it probably shouldn't have happened. Now I'm, I'm full amazement.
0: Uh, yeah, I so, mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 we're giving you props, Gabe. Take them. Yeah. Take the props, Gabe. It. Take the props. I appreciate it. You're a warrior, Great. Gabe. You fought through an ACL tear to for your team. This is legendary stuff. You're discounting it. Just <laughs> soak it in, Gabe. Soak it in. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I think you're one of the best players in in the country. Uh, And I think, so I Googled most of the research that gets done for this podcast, me Googling uh, your name and then the word Ultimate after it. And one of the first four hits was a tweet that you had from 2016 saying that if Ultimate is in the Olympics in 2020 or 2024, you're going to be there. Uh, I mean, 2020 is not
2: happening. I remember (laughs) that. (laughs)
1: Do you, is nice. that still your goal in
2: 2024 for the world yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's uh, that would be super cool.
1: And my goal is to somehow be on the sideline for those games, so uh,
2: <laughs> I'll meet you there.
1: Hey,
0: Gabe, have you ever met Trent Dillon?
2: I have. I met him at uh, Nationals my senior year. Well, I had kind of played against him a couple times before, like in college. But the first time I like met him and got to talk to him and, like, tell him that he was, like, a big, like, you know, kind of role model for me in, in Ultimate, like, was at Nationals my senior year. Um, and he was there to, like, present the Callahan to me. So I had to, got a chance to talk with him and be like, hey, thanks for just, you know, being you and giving me a face to look up to when I was just joining the sport.
0: So I got to coach Trent in high school here at Rattner nice. High in Pennsylvania.
2: So uh, nice. we
0: uh, technically have crossed some paths. Um, but not really uh, in that in in that area. So I have a lot of respect for Trent, as I, I'm sure you do, and um, just uh, uh, just uh, he's a he's a quality person, and I see and I hear a lot of the same qualities in you. And it's just uh, you you are a tremendous individual. That's uh, very much respect. Appreciate it, man. Uh, that said, though, uh, there, Gabe, uh, before I end the podcast, uh, and uh, I'm hoping Shaggy will not edit this out, um, but East Carolina University in 1994, my team uh, defeated Stanford Bloodthirsty in the uh, national championship in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Even though I dropped the pull in the final, East Carolina brethren would not be uh, happy. Listening to this podcast, if I did not mention that, yeah, right. I had to mention it, uh, as I mentioned That's it sure, almost yeah. every. Po- Shaggy will tell you I mentioned <laughs> it almost every podcast when he's tired of hearing it. True, it's true. All right, Shag, you got anything else, my friend?
1: Yeah, We're yeah. <laughs> <Pretty> true. <laughs> I'm you, um... sorry. I keep interrupting you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's okay. It's okay. Dave, are you still uh, are you, do you still write music
0: I do
2: yeah
1: what' I kind of been writing your...
2: a couple of stuff but, um, uh, I kind of like vary between like like sappy love pop guitar piano kind of stuff and some uh, like more like I've gotten a little more into like rap and like acoustic rap like over like an acoustic guitar uh, messing around with different beats Um, it's usually like either like a commentary on like how I grew up, or songs about like my romantic endeavors, or um, social commentary kind of stuff. So I've actually got a lot of a lot of chance to write in the past like couple months because of the pandemic. So yeah, for sure. Is it uh,
1: do you put it out anywhere? or Are you worried your kids are gonna find it? with the, the scoop?
2: Um, on the next I year's album? I'm trying to yeah I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to teach myself how to, like, produce music well, because I can, like, put it on GarageBand, but I'm trying to figure out how to get it to sound, like, a something you'd hear that's, like, mastered and produced. Um, so I think that's, like, the, the, the hurdle right now. So, like, I, I have, like, these songs. I want to get them to sound really good and then maybe put them, like, on, on like, an album on Spotify. Um, I have some, like, stuff that I've, like, put on SoundCloud. Um, that's kind of more informal, like, stuff like me messing around, like... But I do have a SoundCloud. There's some stuff on it. Um, but I'm I'm currently trying to teach myself that a stage, like i can, like put my put my music out there, and make sure it's also like well recorded. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Do you, so I mean, I'll, I'll tie this in eventually. But after pitching to the school board, you know, I know you've said before that you want to be the the principal or the superintendent of the district. Is that still something you want to do after having to like go through all the Make a this summer.
2: Um, I think yeah, I think I'm, I'm I'm still open to that. Um, I I think I would either want to do that to go the principal superintendent route, or um, get, go back to school for like policy and education, or maybe like even law, um, to try to work in uh, in like a at the state level, um, to try to like come up with curriculum or policy, um. Kind of larger scale picture, um, so I'm still not sure what I exactly I want to do, where I feel where, where I would feel most impactful. Um, but both of those avenues are ones that I'm still like thinking about. So, when you eventually
1: accomplish it, because you, you you seem to be the sort of person who ends up just accomplishing whatever it is you set your mind to, do you think that your uh, your albums are going to be something that like the kids whisper about in hushed tones? Like, do you know who Mr. Hernandez is? Have you listened to his music? Or do you, are you worried, like, <laughs> they'll bring it up to, to kind of make fun of you?
2: I mean, hopefully it's the first, uh, first one. Um, <laughs> I think, So some, some of my stuff on SoundCloud, some of the students have found, me being a teacher, um, and I, I definitely get mixed reactions. I say like probably, like, 70% is like, oh, yeah, like, no, he, like, raps and sings, and like, he does this. And there's like a, there's like a couple of kids that are like that's lame. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I'm glad I'm glad the majority appreciate it. So you know I think and most of the stuff I like write and sing about are like things that I care deep per, like deeply and personally about. So I, I wouldn't have an issue with people finding them um, no matter what my like position is. You know. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. Uh, I work with I work with sixth graders right now, and if if a couple of them don't think something's lame, then uh, then it's not good. So,
0: yeah, yeah exactly. Check <laughs> <laughs> if they listened to the podcast. Sixth graders? No, no. Not this, mine. Have, have they listened? Have your sixth graders listened to the Bernie Bird?
1: I think that if they found this, they would be over the moon. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: awesome. <laughs>
1: No, they All right. That, those are my questions. Thank you so much, dude. Cool. Yeah, I'm no a problem.
0: All right. You have uh Gabe, do you have any questions for us? As Phoenix fans, ultimate players, former ultimate players, a fat old guy doing a podcast, anything you have, let it let it rip. <laughs> um hmm. what are your what where do you think our
2: sport will be in ten years?
0: Wow, that's a good one. I I think I think I think it's an established Olympic sport at that juncture. That's that's that that's number one. I think the AUDL is has expanded the thirty two teams at that juncture. And um I think that's the future of the game is the AUDL. And uh I think the television exposure and the, uh, the Olympics, the Olympics are going to be great for Ultimate. Um, it's, it's just going to be like having different countries showcase their best talent against the best talent from other countries is going to be amazing. And frankly, uh, when Japan or Australia or another country up or, uh, upsets Canada or the U.S. for a title, it's going to skyrocket ratings in our sport, and I think it's going to be huge. And that's my expectation. That, that's 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 what I see the future of the game. Um, what do you think? Am I am I am I off base? Am I off my rocker? Am I am I speaking out of turn? Please tell. Me. Uh, I <laughs> used to be game <laughs> time. Dave digresses to shag. This was great. Go ahead, Shag. <laughs> I used to be more blasé
1: about the future of the sport, uh, but then this guy that I know sent me a mockumentary about Ultimate Frisbee from 2001 that I watched, and I gotta say, we're like, I mean, we look like the the I don't know, we look like the World Cup compared to what they were doing back <laughs> then. So
0: the mockumentary I'm pretty, is terrible.
1: Um, I'm, <laughs> no context. So, no context. You know, we, <laughs> like if we keep going up like that, it's sky's the limit. I I think the Olympics. I used to put more stock in the Olympics for the sport. Um, I think that uh, the the various pro leagues being able to get contracts with um, with you know major broadcasting networks kind of eliminates the need for ultimately to be in the Olympics to become a a uh, a more household name. And and I think that like. If, if the PUL and the WL and the AUDL, if they all keep um, promoting the way that they have been these last couple of years, and I mean, it's obviously different with um, uh, the women's leagues, which are self funded, so they have a little bit more leeway in terms of what they're looking for. Uh, but I think that that, that has broadened the uh, scope of Ultimate immeasurably, and I can't, it's tough to say in 10 years. I think that uh pro ultimate will be profitable. I think that's my prediction for everyone involved. All right. That's where I'm putting the word at. How
0: about you, Gabe? What do you think? Answer your own question.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, 10
2: years. I think, I think Olympics is reasonable. Uh, given like the, the things I've seen and read about the consideration. Um, I, I do think that, like, having established, like, leagues with, to televise like, broadcasting networks, it does more for the sport than the Olympic stuff. Cause so like, there's some Olympic sports that, like, don't have a huge market. Um, I guess that they might, but it's kind of niche in the same way that the Ultimate is. But um, I, I agree. I think that, like, the, the ADL, PUL, those, like, pro leagues with those contracts, like, those are the ones that can really, you know, Grow it to the next level where more people are involved, more fa- more fans are involved. Um, I think that being more like uh, like are con- more willing to like give opinions on like social narratives and like social justice and like taking a stance on those things can really help also, um, because people see them like oh this is this, this is great this is this is a, a, a sport a league and they're promoting what they think is right and that's that's respectable so. I think all those things, if if the leagues continue to do that, and hopefully they don't, you know, they become profitable soon for the sake of the owners and and all the people that are investing. Um, But, yeah, I think, uh, I hope it's it's profitable. I think it can definitely get there. It just needs to consistently, like, make some big moves every couple years. So I wouldn't be surprised.
0: All right, well, uh, Gabe Hernandez, Thank you very much for joining us here on The Burning Bird. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you very much for coming on.
2: Yeah, thanks Thanks for inviting me. It's was, it was great to be here.
0: Well, for Dave Hernandez and Alexander Shaggy Shragus, I'm Steve Leiner. Thank you for joining us again here on The Burning Bird.